Welcome to Public Health On Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Our focus is the novel coronavirus. I'm Josh Sharfstein, a faculty member at Johns Hopkins and also a former secretary of Maryland's health department. Our goal with this podcast is to bring evidence and experts to help you understand today's news about the novel coronavirus and what it means for tomorrow. If you have questions, you can email them to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. That's publichealthquestion at jhu.edu for future podcast episodes. Today, we are headed to the Cary Business School at Johns Hopkins University to hear Stephanie Desmond of the Johns Hopkins Center for Communication Programs interview Kathleen Day, an expert on the economic impact of this epidemic. Let's listen. We're here today with Kathleen Day, a full-time instructor at the Johns Hopkins Cary Business School and author of a new book, Broken Bargain, Bankers, Bailouts, and the Struggle to Tame Wall Street. Today, we're going to talk about the coronavirus and the economy. Kathleen, could you tell me a little bit about your work? Yes, I am, am unfortunately an expert in history or what I focus on and have focused on for 30 years is the history of financial crises in the United States and, of course, around the world because we are such a big player. So I look at financial crises from the point of view of those that we cause ourselves and are avoidable and those that are sparked by external uh, causes such as this coronavirus, this is yeah. novel, but that then can turn into a financial crisis because of the response. So that's my, that's what I focus on. This coronavirus is unlike anything we've seen in our lifetimes. The stock market has been in free fall. We're starting to hear about virus-related layoffs. What is it about this situation that has people so rattled? What's rattling to people is what they don't know because we don't know how this is all going to unfold. And secondly, some of the scenarios that are likely that could very well unfold are, don't look good. So when you have people who have to stay at home rather than going out to restaurants or to the movies or to sporting events, you have loss of economic activity. Consumers account for six to seven cents out of every 10 cents spent in the economy. And that's been true for decades. So when you hobble that spending power, you're really crippling the economy. But now, on the other hand, the internet does allow, thank goodness, for much activity to continue. So, for example, we're moving our courses at Johns Hopkins from in-person classes to online virtual classes, and we can continue to teach. And with the electronics that we have, we can do so pretty seamlessly. So that, and people can work from home. So in that sense, the internet is allowing economic activity to continue unimpeded. But there are many activities. If you have, uh, if you're waiting for furniture from China, if you're waiting to get a shipment of an ingredient for an iPhone or a drug, and it is held up either because of production delays or um, for whatever reason, because of this, you can see where that has a crippling effect on the economy. As consumers, as people with 401ks, what should we be doing at this point? really sitting tight. You, you cannot anticipate the market and you can't 
uh, you can't juggle your finances to, to think, oh, well, because the market's going down, I'll, I'll sell now. That's the wrong way to go. If, if, if my advice, again, but it, my advice is worth what you're paying for it, it's free. <laughs> but after 40 years of covering this and what I myself am doing, I'm just hanging tight. I don't even look at my 401k because it's, it doesn't look good. But this is an anomaly. It may be a more prolonged anomaly than we're used to. And certainly the lapse in political leadership has not helped it at all. That, that augments uncertainty in the market, which it doesn't like. But sit tight. And we will get through this. We really will get through this. And then you can make more reasonable economic decisions about your portfolio. What could be the long-term effect of this on the economy? Well, I think there's going to be some structural changes. I keep reading, I keep hearing people say, you know, people are working from home pretty well. We realize perhaps at our company, we are spending too much on rent. We don't need to have as much office space as we used to. And as you know, anyone who's driven anywhere um, lately, if you drive around any kind of shopping center, big or little, there's lots of vacancies that have been caused by the internet because people are shopping online. I think that will be augmented. Um, I think there'll be some residual problems with people who get sick and don't have paid sick leave, which is really tragic. And it's unfortunate because some members of Congress right now are on paid sick leave who voted against giving paid sick leave to rank and file Americans. If we have people who are sick and don't have paid sick leave, uh, they're going to, I think we could have many more bankruptcies. In addition, I do think on a more macro level, on a micro level, I think this is going to hurt a lot of people individually. And, and, and when you have to declare bankruptcy, that's a stain on your credit for, for many years. Macro economy, I think that down problems like this can expose underlying issues that were already in the economy. Just like this coronavirus can hurt someone with an underlying lung condition, if you have asthma or a compromised immune system, this, this uh, a downturn in the economy because of something like this can expose underlying weaknesses in the economy, such as there's too much high-risk corporate debt. And that has been a growing segment of the $10 trillion in outstanding corporate debt. And that's high-risk debt. So if suddenly the economy slows, how, and, those co- and the companies who have that high-risk debt can't, their sales slow, how are they going to repay the bank? And if they default on that, then that has a ripple effect for the bank. And then the bank pulls back on credit and so on and so on. So there are ways in which there are going to be ripple effects effects in, in the big picture and, and, and um, among individuals because of this. And you said you study financial crises. So the question is, are we entering into one now? And what signs do you look for that tell you whether we are or not? Well, those very things of whether there's going to be more defaults. So there, there are oftentimes when a crisis is called by what we call an exogenous shock, something from outside. It wasn't anyone's fault. It wasn't because they were doing something wrong. But then it either exposes wrongdoing or um, undue risk taking, like taking on too much high risk corporate debt, or it causes people to suddenly do high risk things in the hopes of making up for past losses. So one of the things that's troubling about this administration to me are the ways in which it is rolling back common sense rules for overseeing the financial services industry, they're they're rolling it back. So if we, as we go into this downturn, which in my opinion, we've already begun for health reasons. I mean, this is something we got to do. Then you will see 
people cutting corners to try to maybe make up for losses. And that's troubling. If you have fewer police on the beat, Wall Street needs police. That has been the case. That has been a tried and true accepted policy from the time of Jefferson and Hamilton. Um, Their disagreement was not over whether Wall Street should be policed. They both agreed that it should. And we've agreed on that as, as, as a society forever. But occasionally you have administrations which really pull back on that. And that's what's happening now. That's what makes me nervous. I just read that Jason Furman, one of the top economic advisors to President Barack Obama, said this situation could end up worse than what we faced during the financial crisis of 2008. Well, it could because there's we've spent, what, almost four years now with no police on the beat, what I call police on the beat. And I'm talking about common sense rules. No one, it drives me crazy when I hear people say, oh, they just like rules for rules sake. No one likes rules for rules sake. What you want to have, for example, is you want to say to banks, you should have a certain amount of money saved so that if there's a downturn, you can use that as a cushion against losses before you have to go to taxpayers. Now, if I say that that way, no one's going to disagree with that. But yet, under this administration, they've been allowing banks to hold less money. They've been allowing banks to uh, engage in more gambling. It's 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 gambling, pure and simple, making a bet using uh federally insured deposit dollars. And when you say federally insured deposit deposits, that means taxpayer backed. That's you and me. Um, right. When you have banks using that money to make high stakes investments, they can, looks like they're making a lot of money until they don't. And then they have a lot of losses and that's us having to come in to bail them out. Don't forget the last crisis. I always, I almost can't say these numbers. They're so big. It's so upsetting to say them. But the last uh, downturn 10 years ago, more than $24 trillion in taxpayer dollars was either spent or committed. Now, we ended up not spending all that, and a lot of that money was repaid. But that's just by luck. It could easily have gone another way, and it could go another way this time. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, um, because all we've known in the last decade is is a growing economy. And now it feels like it's come to a very sudden standstill. And I guess I'm wondering how we recover from this both economically and psychologically, you know, from this? Well, psychologically, see, you're you're young. (laughs) I'm (laughs) older. And uh, to me, the last 10 years has gone by very quickly. And I I have lived through many of these crises. The book I wrote is the book I wish someone had given to me when I started out covering the financial services industry four decades ago at the Washington Post. I wish someone had given me this book. Obviously, it wouldn't contain all the crises that have happened in the meantime. But still, one of the the biggest crises, and I'm people say this in every generation, one of the biggest fears and the biggest liabilities that we face in, in financial crises is that people forget the last one. And so to hear people say we've had 10 years of of great success and the economy looks great, well, yeah, and that's exactly not the time to start saying, okay, so we don't need any rules anymore. Maybe it's the time to say maybe the rules have been working. But people say, okay, so now we have, we've had prosperity. So why do we need these rules requiring banks to hold this uh, money for a rainy day that they could be using that money elsewhere? Well, maybe the reason they're doing well is they have that money. Maybe that's helped put the brakes on foolish behavior. So that's the biggest, the biggest problem we face is forgetting. And like any sort of downturn like this, I assume there'll be winners and losers. And sort of what do you see... I mean, I know we're really early in this. Who do you see those as being 
Wow. I hate to call winners and losers. If I could do that, I'd be rich. But um, but of course, it doesn't stop people from betting. Netflix is going to be a big winner, I bet. People are going to be staying home um, streaming unless they've lost their job and they can't afford and they have to cut their cable. We, we just don't know what the economics of that will be. One trend that has been going on for the last 10 to 15, actually 20 years, is a shrinking middle class in this uh, country. So we have uh, fewer and fewer people in that middle group. And what's happened is some of those people are moving up into the 1%, into the higher, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And there's more more people who are defined as poor. So one thing that is, we just don't know, but could have a bad, a bad outcome as you can anticipate, is many more people just don't have a safety net. Two millions and millions of Americans are living check to check. They don't have enough they don't have a couple hundred dollars in case of an emergency that they need new brakes or or they their child gets sick. So there is no there's such a lack of a safety net for so many millions of Americans that that is going to be tested in this crisis, both from the healthcare point of view and for other things that they might need that people might need. So I think that 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 could be a real lasting effect again from this. We're going to see that the shrinking middle class means that even many more millions of Americans are hurt by an economic downturn like this. So winners and losers are hard to tell. Uh, I, I'm sure there will be some makers of masks, makers of sanitizer, maybe. I mean, I, then there's some people, one person whose name I will not use, was going on trying to sell uh, remedies for coronavirus, which obviously don't work. This is one of these conspiracy theorists who has a radio show. It's ridiculous. Now, the attorney general of New York uh, threatened to shut him down, which should, he should be shut down. But there's going to be people like that who profit, uh, sadly, off of people's fears. But um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of losers. Unfortunately, I think the losers are going to overshadow a lot of the winners. Well, Kathleen Day, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Public Health On Call a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Please send questions to be covered in future podcasts to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. That's publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. This podcast is produced by Josh Sharpstein, Lindsay Smith-Rogers, and Lamari Morales. Audio production by Niall Owen McCusker with support from Chip Hickey. Distribution by Nick Moran. Thank you for listening.